Who do you work for, really? Each one of us has a calling. Have you heard this before? Your workplace is your mission field, wherever that may be. You either work for him or work against him, but you work for someone. Who do you really work for? Is it your clients, your boss, your family, yourself, or your Lord? This isn't a trick question. There is a right answer. You're either all in or all out. Are you for him? I am. In fact, I work for him. Hey, Jim, who do you work for? I work for him. I work for Jesus Christ. I want to be your hands. Let me introduce you to the host of the I Work For Him show, Jim Brangenberg. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You've tuned into the I Work For Him radio show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. Take a minute and listen. I Work For Him, it's not a program that you sign up for. It's a mentality. It's a way of living. It's a permanent shift in your Christ-following paradigm. It's a revolution that's happening in the workplace, and it's about bringing the kingdom of God into places where the kingdom is is ignored. Keep in mind that your existence in your workplace, it's not by chance. It doesn't matter what you do or where you do it. Whether you're a pastor, a car mechanic, an attorney, a teacher, a mom, a used car salesperson, your work, it matters to God. And he expects you to be his representative in your workplace. And in your workplace, to recognize that that's your mission field. And in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Now, I know you've heard me say this tons and tons of times, but every day we need to be reminded that going to work is not just to draw paychecks so we can buy groceries. Going to work every day is an opportunity to be a light for Christ. Each day on the I Work For Him show, we try to bring you the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical ways to incorporate your faith into your workplace. I don't come to you as an expert. I don't come to you as somebody that's got this all figured out. I'm just one guy trying to live my life transparently so that you can maybe gain something in order to be an effective witness for Christ in your workplace. Our paradigm shift is described like this. Romans 12.2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Welcome to the I Work Ram Zone. I hope you're never the same. Now, today on I Work Ram, we have a very special privilege. We've got Dr. Emerson Egrich. He's on the show today with us talking about the passion of what brought him to write Love and Respect. He and his incredible wife, Sarah. Emerson, welcome to I Work for Him. Hey, thank you, Jim. Been looking forward to this. And, uh, uh, greetings to your audience there in Tampa Bay and elsewhere. It's an uh, exciting ministry you have. Thank you. You know, it's a lot of fun. And Martha and I have, uh, we always share Tuesdays, the, the microphones on Tuesdays, because we are so passionate about helping people solidify their marriages. There's so many people that they, they don't even know this concept. Well, until we went to one of your conferences in 2008, we'd never heard this. And when we went back and looked at it, the majority of the arguments, the discussions, as you would call them, the crazy cycles we'd gone through in our marriage, all related to this topic, which goes back to this verse, Ephesians 5.33. However, each one of you must also, also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. What an incredible ministry you've grown. And Martha mentioned to me the other day on your Facebook page, you've got like a million six followers. That's incredible. It means you're really touching lives and helping start the wave of of restoration of marriage in America, uh, Emerson, it's just fantastic. I'm so grateful for you and Sarah doing that. Well, thank you, Jim and Martha. I appreciate that. That's encouraging. Uh, I'm refreshed already, so you honor me. Thank you. So, so just start with, as I do with every guest, just asking, how is Jesus Christ making a difference in your life today? As a, as a national speaker, as a famous author, 
I know that you still have your quiet time with the Lord. How is your relationship with the Lord today? How's Jesus making a difference? Well, that's an excellent question. And I, and I think uh, one of the things that I process a lot is, <laughs> and I don't mean to be morbid, but it's all going to end. And, um, you know, one of the things that uh, I've done with my family through the years is we just walk through the cemeteries. And my daughter, Joy, in particular, you know, all the kids are adults now, but that's been one of her favorite things. And we reflect on the fact, uh, what the psalmist said, uh, teach us to number our days, uh, that we would present to you a heart of wisdom. And uh, I think part of the freshness of my own relationship with Christ is the realization that he doesn't need me. Um, Paul, I remember making the statement that he was unknown yet known. And I love that statement because many of us feel inadequate. We feel like, you know, we're insignificant. But the truth is, Jesus Christ knows us. And as we prove to be faithful with him and work as you certainly herald a great deal, uh, we're touching the heart of Christ. And there's coming a day when this earthly life will end and uh, we will arise and hear, hopefully, from him, well done, good and faithful servant. And so, in my heart, you know, there's always this deep realization that, you know, I'm going to get older. I'm not going to continue to have some of the worldly successes. And what will my heart be like then? Will I trust Christ? Will I follow Christ? Will I enjoy him? That's something that I think kind of just pulsates in my soul on a regular basis. You know what? You, you may Jesus and, and our Heavenly Father may not need you, but He's using you and your bride to make a huge impact. I mean, I, I got to tell you, our we always give gifts to all of our friends getting married, and we give them these three gifts usually. We if they don't have a Bible, we'll give them a couple's Bible. If they don't have the Five Love Languages book, we give them a copy of the Five Love Languages because they can't understand the love part of love and respect without understanding that. And we always give them a copy of Love and Respect. We always have fifteen or twenty copies around so we can give them away but it is as as we talk about this what it just is such an incredible concept and it really is impacting marriages each and every day we're talking today with emerson Egerich about his incredible book love and respect and the ministry that goes by the same name find them online at loveandrespect.com that's loveandrespect.com before we get back to emerson just a quick thank you to our show sponsors most insurance find them online at mostins.com the Bel Air Wealth Management Boys, Luke, Dave, and Randy. Find them online at Bel Air Wealth Management. And, of course, Crown College. If you're thinking about a master's degree, why not get one with a biblical worldview? Find them online at crown.edu forward slash radio. Emerson, talk about how the Lord laid on your heart this passion for fighting for marriages. How did God do it? Well, for many years I was the senior pastor of Trinity Church in East Lansing, Michigan. Um, college town, Michigan State is there, the Spartans, and and uh, so we just had a wonderful 20-year period almost, and I was privileged to study the Bible 30 hours a week. Um, I also got my Ph.D. in child and family ecology from Michigan State. And so uh, the privilege of looking in Scripture, the privilege of doing research, uh, I suddenly had this realization based on that verse that you quoted earlier, Ephesians 5.33, that a husband must love and a wife must respect. And it was that second part of the verse that I realized, you know what, I, I don't think I fully understand what to say to wives about that verse. In fact, you know, sometimes when you surface the idea of respecting a man, women say, Dr. Dr. Emerson, I have to be honest with you, I don't feel any respect for him. It'd be hypocritical for me to show it when I don't feel it, and I know you don't want me to be a hypocrite. I, I know he's not superior to me, I'm not inferior to him, I'm not going to be treated like a doormat. I certainly 
you know, I'm not going to give him license to do what he wants. Everybody knows that love must be earned, and he certainly hasn't earned it. He doesn't really uh, deserve it. He doesn't love me in the ways that, you know, I love him. And I, I think you really want us to return to male patriarchy and fear male dominance. I, I think, you know, if I do this, I'm going to lose a sense of myself, my identity. I'll set the feminist team back 50 years and certainly perhaps will subject myself to emotional abuse. But Dr. Emerson, <laughs> other than these things, I'm really open to hearing about <laughs> That's incredible. I mean, and it's so true, but really, that's because people just don't understand what the scriptures are saying, because it, it doesn't talk anything about male dominance. I mean, it, it, it talks about a partnership, and it talks about what the, how the Lord created us. And, but the beginning of that passage in Ephesians 5.25 is really probably the key verse, because it starts there. That's why I always start with, husbands, if you just would love your wives like Christ loved the church, as it calls for in Ephesians 5.25— we wouldn't have these problems in marriages because all of a sudden a, a woman would naturally respond that way in a respectful manner. So let's just talk, Emerson. So you, you realize this concept, and for you and Sarah, it was in your marriage, and it was you're learning to put it into practice. But what inspired you to write the book? Because it's really the book that vaulted you into this ministry that is now affecting hundreds of thousands of people. Well, I think partly— um uh, it was my misunderstanding of what that verse meant, and also I think what I was intending to, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't intentional, but I was not helping the women who came to see me uh, for counsel, because I had taken the position that 95% of the reasons for all problems in marriage is that it was the man's fault. And uh, certainly there's a great deal of truth to that. My dad attempted to strangle my mother to death when I was two. Uh, he committed adultery when I was 11. My mom and dad divorced when I was one. They remarried each other, but then they separated for many years. Eventually, I was sent to a military school from 8th grade to 12th grade. And most of those difficulties I would put at the feet of my dad. And so I had a mindset that the man was the primary cause. But the unintended consequences of that is that I put women in a position, and when I counsel them, as helpless, hopeless victims, that if the man was not who uh, he needed to be, then she was destined for a life of misery and perhaps just simply couldn't do marriage God's way. And I began to realize, whoa, 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 that's, that's just not true. And then I went over to First Peter 3 where he says to the women, you can win your disobedient husband, and he quotes, through respectful behavior. And I began to look at this, and I began to think, you know, there's some real power here. This does not uh, cause a woman to lose power. This really actually can motivate a man to soften his spirit, move toward her, to connect in a way that she couldn't imagine. I began to test out by having women, let's just act on this in trust and obedience. We didn't put women in harm's way. I understood what that meant. But most men were goodwilled, but the marriages they were experiencing with their husbands, they weren't happy. And he wasn't who she wanted him to be. And she was loving on him, doing all these love things, but it didn't seem to be working. But then we began to coach her on how to express things in a respectful way, how to even use the word respect, how maybe even to say, I didn't mean to say that in a disrespectful way, and to see what would happen. And the men would literally soften, look at her, stay in place, wouldn't walk off, began to engage, and it was absolutely mind-boggling, this idea of the power of using what we call respect talk toward the male spirit. And once we began to see that Peter knew what he was talking about, and Paul knew what he was talking about. Uh, it began to really unpack itself in ways that, you know, we saw these changed lives. And Sarah and I began to do the Love and Respect Conference in 1999. 
for several years. We just did the conference, then I wrote the book. Also, we were on focus on the family, and uh, Dr. Dobson played the uh, two-day message I'd given to some women, and it was very exciting. We had 90,000 phone calls within hours, oh, and that my. really launched us at that point. And women began to say, no one's ever told us this. And men began to say, finally, I feel like someone's put in a voice and vocabulary to what I feel. Because, Jim, you and I are motivated to serve and even die for honor. We don't gag over the idea of honoring another man. Great men honor all men around them, and those men literally die. In fact, one husband said to his wife, I love you so much, I would die for you. And she said, oh, Harry, you keep saying that, but you never do. (laughs) (laughs) Now, now, Emerson, we're trying to be positive today. (laughs) But how powerful that is because women don't know what real respect looks like. So when you, um, number one, you are telling a man that that is very important and then giving the women examples and ways to actually show that respect in a way that resonates with the man. And that's probably what prompted those 90,000 phone calls is the fact that um, we're hungry to hear how to do it well. And, and this just sets it up for that. So that's fascinating. No, and you represent, yeah, and you represent, Martha, the spirit of women. Women are not mean-spirited. They want to improve their relationship. They just don't understand this. I mean, the number one question women ask is this question, what are you talking about, respect? And I, I said, that's exactly right. It's not something that's natural. What, what are we talking about? You know, bringing home pom-poms and being a cheerleading outfit when he enters the door and just worship the guy? What, what is this? And I, my first question always is to women, well, maybe we don't know what respect is fully, but do you know what disrespect is? And women uh-huh. say, yeah, I got that down. I said, well, here's the deal. Just soften that next time. Don't they say, you know, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. Right now I'm mad at you. I'm upset with you. I'm, how do I say this in a way that you don't think I'm trying to dish you? I'm just, I'm irked right now. I'm trying to connect with you, but you seem to personalize all this. How do I say this in a way that you don't think I'm trying to dishonor you? Hmm. I mean, that in and of itself will cause a man to grin. Well, and, and I got to tell you, that what, what you just said, that you put a voice and a vocabulary to what I felt. And when we first went to that conference in 2008, and got the book and read the book. And first we heard the video series, then we read the book. And uh, I'm like, wow, this would have solved 95% of the issues we had in our marriage up to that point. And we had a good marriage, I understand. But it was still, like, I look back and I'm like, I just didn't know that's what I was feeling. I didn't know why I was getting upset at you. Because Martha, like you said, she's a goodwill woman and she's a fantastic, incredible wife. She's not a disrespectful person at all, and I just didn't understand that disrespect is what I was feeling. Now, I can identify that when my children treated me certain ways, but I didn't ever see that in my wife. Well, and the point that I make is that there's an honest misunderstanding. At the end of the day, people get on what I call the crazy cycle. Without love, a wife reacts without respect. And without respect, a husband reacts without love. And then without love, she reacts without respect. Without respect, he reacts without love. And even though all of us need love and respect equally, and it's very important because some women listening are saying, well, we women need R-E-S-P-E-C-T, you know, Aretha Franklin's song. And it's absolutely, and men need L-O-V-E. The true need is equal. We all need love and respect equally. It's very important that that be understood. But we've asked 7,000 people this question. When you're in a conflict with your spouse, do you feel unloved at that moment or disrespected? Get this, Jim and Martha, 83% of the men say they feel disrespected. 72% of the women say they feel unloved. That's Mm. as different as night is from day, as pink is from blue, as male is from female. So the felt need, and here's what happens. 
in a conflict with our wives, most men, you say to Joe, Joe, does your wife love you? Oh, yeah. Does she like you? No, not today. <laughs> All right. I, I remember hearing this the first time in the Love and Respect Conference back in 2008. And I'm like, really? The story behind R-E-S-P-E-C-T by Aretha Franklin. Tell the story. Because people don't know this. Martha doesn't even remember it. But I remember it's, when you told that story. stuck in your head. <laughs> right. Well, most of us attribute that song to Aretha because she made it famous. But the one who really wrote it and sang it first was Otis Redding. And uh, right around 1965, it was released as a single. He wrote it as a song to his wife. Uh, it's really uh, a man singing that to his uh, woman. And uh, they change it around so that it would fit the soul queen she was eventually uh, you know, labeled as. But uh, the point I make in our conference is that, gentlemen, the one song we had, they took. <laughs> <laughs> but it's and it's so true. When you, I heard that song just the other day, and I don't remember where I was when I was listening to the song. Like, I'll never forget that that what you taught about that song and how that was originally meant to be sung by a man, and uh, because it is such an important thing. Hmm. Right before the break, Emerson, you started getting into the crazy cycle, and you talked about how you talked to seven thousand people about how they felt during a conflict. And you asked the men, and they said they felt disrespected. And you asked the women, and you said they felt unloved. And this whole crazy cycle, as you call it, that's the beginning. Understanding that's the beginning of understanding the whole love and respect. Why don't we just review that for our listeners? Right. Again, we all need love and respect equally. And the University of Washington studied 2,000 couples for 20 years, and they concluded we now know the two key ingredients for successful marriages, love and respect. But even there, they got gender-specific, as we did with that question. Would you, you know, in a conflict, do you feel unloved or disrespected? 83% of the men said they feel disrespected. 72% of the women said they feel unloved. And so the felt need during conflict, it's like we have the same experience, but he filters it through respect. She filters that through love or the lack of respect, lack of love. And so one of the things that happens, though, and this is why Goodwill people like yourself and Sarah may get on what we call the crazy cycle. Without love, she reacts without respect. Without respect, he reacts without love, and this baby starts to spin. Is that when she feels unloved, she negatively acts, but it, it isn't her goal to try to diss him. That's not what she's consciously, willfully trying to do. She's trying to send a message, I feel unloved right now. So, too, when a man feels disrespected, he ends up reacting in a way that feels unloving to his wife, but that's not his intent. So, for instance, the University of Washington studied those 2,000 couples for 20 years, and they discovered that during conflict, 85% of those who stonewall is the husband. That's statistically significant. That's a pattern. That's not a stereotype. That's just a statistically predictable phenomenon. 85% of those who withdraw emotionally, shut down, stop talking, exit, they don't want to talk about it anymore, drop it, forget it is the male. 15% do stonewall. My mother stonewall. Women typically who stonewall and withdraw are fearful. They do so for a different reason than does the man. Why does the man stonewall? They were monitoring the heartbeats. And during these conflicted moments, men's beat can get to 99 beats per minute. That's warrior mode. So what <laughs> must a good-willed man do? He must calm himself down. And that's why men will say, you're picking a fight. You're provoking me. Leave me alone. I need to calm down, which doesn't make sense to her whatsoever. And the women were asked, when that happens, what do you feel? She said, it feels like an act of hostility. Mm. She could not imagine shutting down over what she perceived to be a minor criticism. What is an act of hostility? The opposite of love. 
okay? But why were the men doing this? My research points out that men did this because it's an act of honor. And so we ask the question, who is right? Is it an act of hostility or is it an act of honor? And the answer to that question is yes. <laughs> it just depends on whether or not you're going to videotape through pink or blue. And we've got to come to a point that unless there's an intrinsic evil, most conflicts are over preference issues, what I call clashing preferences. And, and we just get mad at each other and then we get in a crazy cycle. And then at a certain point, she seeks to do the loving thing only to be interpreted as disrespectful. He seeks to do the honorable thing and is interpreted as unloving. And the question on the table is, are couples able to decode that? And these researchers also found that in most of these conflicted moments, women do criticize and complain. Yep, there she did it. Criticism, complaint, criticism, complaint. Mm -hmm. And the men were asked what they feel at that moment. And ongoing criticism, they said, feels like an act of contempt. But my research points out that women do it because it's an act of care. So it begs the question, who's right? Is it an act of, of, of contempt or is, is it an act of care? The answer is yes. Again, <laughs> it just depends on whether or not you videotape in pink or blue. And the point we make in our conferences, neither are wrong. We're just different. Yeah. But what happens is we end up taking offense because we could not imagine continuing to criticize and complain like women do if we're a man. And as a woman, we can't imagine stonewalling and withdrawing. And so we eventually begin to think, you know, I really don't matter to you. You're mistreating me. I really don't like you. I really don't think I love you anymore. I think I don't respect you anymore. And then we spin on the crazy cycle even more, and two people who are madly in love are now just mad. It's such that power. Makes sense? Oh, it's, it's makes sense. And I love hearing you say it because, uh, of course, you've been saying it for a few years, but it, it makes it so clear and it describes so many married couples, you're, you and Sarah, Martha and I, and the rest of the couples out there that we just, because we're male and female, we are different and we do end up arguing about sometimes, like you said, preference issues. Just, I like to call them just stupid. Here in Florida, we have an <laughs> overabundance of stupid on the highways and the byways and in stores and it just happens to get in our marriages too we've made a mistake in the culture because we are equal as men and women and we are we we've concluded therefore we are the same and and that is a very important distinction because we're equal doesn't mean that we're the same mm. and therefore uh, what happens when we have this idea that we're equal we shouldn't then as husbands shut down the stonewall women think you know i don't do that you shouldn't do that and and so too the man you know this is not that important just drop it forget it let's just move on okay uh, why, why do you keep doing this? And so we end up feeling like, you know, there's something wrong with my spouse. <laughs> there's something wrong with you. And not only that, not only are you childish in the way you're reacting, you're now holding me responsible for your upset. And so there is this confusion that comes over couples of goodwill. And what happens when they get on the crazy cycle, she feels unloved in the first place. She tries to do the loving thing by connecting with him, moving toward him to talk about it, only to hear that she's the most disrespectful person on the planet, and she feels even more in love. So from her vantage point, she knows she's right at four levels, and all of her girlfriends tell her that. <laughs> on the other side, he's feeling disrespected. He seeks to do the honorable thing, let's say shut down and withdraw, only to hear he's the most unloving person on this side of the Mississippi, and he feels even more disrespected. And so now you have two people who loved each other deeply are now considering divorce because they keep spinning on this crazy cycle, and it just doesn't seem to be what it used to be. And what we're helping couples is realize you can decode. Every man out there needs to understand your wife is not trying to dish you. 
And the truth is you matter to her more than anybody. She's moving toward you to connect. She needs your strength, and she's feeling insecure about your love and is seeking reassurance. That's where her heart's at. And your husband is not unloving. He would literally die for you if a man came into the house to kill you. He would die for you. And Christ said, no greater love is a man than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. Now, your husband isn't as sensitive or as sentimental, but he's devoted to you. But the truth is, he's trying often to do the honorable thing and calm himself down. He's not thinking, I'm going to be unloving. He's actually trying to protect the relationship from escalating out of control. We've got Dr. Emerson Egerich on the line today talking about his incredible book written almost. I mean, Emerson, what year does this book publish the first time? 2000? 2004. 2004. But you've had Love and Respect conferences since 1999. So you've been talking about this straight for 16 years. You've talked about it. I mean, how many hundreds of thousands of people have gone through your Love and Respect conferences? Well, I don't know the number of that, but we're as passionate now as we've ever been and uh, excited. And uh, in fact, the book made the New York Times bestseller list in November and then again in April. So the book continues to sell hardback. It's just kind of been mind-boggling to see, you know, the response to this. So we're we're very humbled and very honored. I was talking with one of my coworkers earlier today, and she said she went to one of your very first conferences that you guys ever did. And she said that that was quite a while ago, and it was just as impactful then. And but I know that one of the things Jim and I've experienced is um, we've we've gone to the the video per, um, format of it, and we've been to your live format of it. We've read the book. We've taken other couples through the book. Um, No matter where we're at in life, we continue to be reminded of those great biblical concepts that continue to strengthen our marriage. So just when we we think that uh, we remember it all, we go back and we read something, we're like, oh yeah, there's a lot here to learn. There's a lot. I appreciate your example. Wow. I mean, you blessed me both. Mm. I'm uh, grateful for your uh, desire to continue to to grow in this example to all of us. I mean, Sarah and I, you know, we get in a crazy cycle, and and uh, we we often say, you know, we practice what we preach. <laughs> <laughs> Which, wait a minute, I'm supposed to, are you supposed to practice the crazy cycle? Yeah, that yeah. comes, no, that no, comes no, pretty no. natural. Practice yeah, getting exactly. off of the crazy cycle, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you that question whether you and Sarah still struggle in this area, and I just, because you, know, you guys have been married now, is it 40 years? Are you almost 40 years? Yeah, How many years? 1973, yeah. So we've been married over 40 years. That's and, uh, awesome. Yeah, we, Congratulations. We, we, try to, we try to let people know that uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 28, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is not about marriage. We often quote the love chapter on marriage, but 1 Corinthians 7 is where the Apostle Paul talked about marriage. And uh, in verse 28, he said, if you marry, you have not sinned, but you will have trouble. <laughs> And so if part, of the, part of that trouble early in the verse, he said the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does, and the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. He's talking there about equal authority, equal say when it comes to sexual intimacy. And I remember saying, Lord, um, are you saying there's equal say? Yes. I mean, like equal authority? Yes. Like on Tuesday night, does he decide they're going to have sex, or does she decide they're not going to have sex? And Forty years later, does he decide they're not going to have sex, and does she decide they're going to have sex? Yes. 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 And I said, Lord, have you designed trouble? Yes. <laughs> and one of the things that couples need to realize is that they're in the center of God's will at these conflicted moments, that God has set it up that way, to have that tension and it's for a deeper purpose. Rather than resenting each other, he's allowed us to have these moments for his special purpose, and we've got to trust that. 
Part of maturity is being able to deal with these uh, moments in the gray areas where we differ with each other, that we disagree, and how do we move forward without resenting each other? And that is going to lead to trouble, and God has designed it. And we've got to go into marriage looking at the Holy Word rather than at Hollywood. Amen. Say that again. That's a good line. I love that line. Well, and it's not that the people in Hollywood are bad, but we have this idea that it should be a perfect relationship, like it should be 99% happy. And I say it's 80-20. 20% of marriage is going to have trouble and difficulty, all the way from a child getting cancer to losing a job to whatever. We're not going to go on a honeymoon. We won't go on the cruise if we just lost our child. So troubles come. And what we have to do is anticipate those troubles. You know, sailors, you know, they don't uh, join the Navy with the idea that there's not going to be a, a, a storm on the open sea. I mean, what would we think if we heard today 40 sailors jumped the rail, there was a storm, they didn't sign up for storms on the open sea, so they just decided to jump ship. I mean, we would say that's ludicrous. If you're on the open sea, you're going to have storms. Hmm. And the same thing. You know, we say, well, they, they, they divorced. Why? Well, there were storms. They didn't, they didn't sign up to do marriage by having troubles. And the minute they started having troubles, they jumped ship. And the Lord feels about that the same that we would feel about sailors jumping ship. But this is said to encourage people. It's not 80% problems, but 20%. But what happens, a little leaven leavens the whole. If we don't accept that, if we don't roll with the storm, if we don't just kind of say, you know what, we're having a conflict, conflicted moment right now, we're not happy with each other, we're arguing, but that's part and parcel of what happens. As long as we see it under this preference issue, neither one of us are wrong. I, you know, one thing that Sarah tried and I tried to introduce quickly, if, unless there's an intrinsic evil going on, neither one of us are necessarily wrong. It doesn't mean that one of us has the, the, the better, it doesn't mean that one isn't having more wisdom here, but it does mean that the other person isn't absolutely wrong. And we've got to be able to understand Romans 14, where Paul teaches that some could eat meat, some couldn't, this day was holy, the other day was not. And he's saying, quit judging each other and passing contempt on each other. In other words, there's a whole lot of gray areas that we must not show disrespect toward each other and judge each other, but instead say we're both right, but now how are we going to move forward on this in light of the fact that we differ? Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. Hey, I want to thank Evelyn for calling in, William for calling in, and Connie for calling in, not only for listening to I Work For Him, for calling in and getting a copy of Love and Respect. You three and your marriages will never be the same. Read this book with your spouse. Read it chapter by chapter together. Mm -hmm. And I would recommend maybe doing it with another couple so that you guys can, I mean, it's going to be an incredible experience. I can't wait to get it out in your hands. We'll get it in the mail to you tomorrow. Emerson, the good news is it doesn't stop at the crazy cycle. It moves on to the energizing cycle. And finally, we understand the Christ-centered perspective of the rewarded cycle. Let's talk about the energizing cycle. Well, we say his love motivates her respect, and her respect motivates his love. Uh, and that uh, is contrary to the general idea in the culture where his love motivates her love, and her love motivates his love, and we will all be happy. And the Bible doesn't teach that. No wife is commanded to a agape love her husband. Did you know that? In the marriage passages, there is no command of her to agape love. Only the husband is commanded to agape love. God has put within the nature of a woman to nurture. Women love to love at the level of intimacy. You have to wound a woman at the level of intimacy to get her to stop loving. God's not going to command her to do what he created her to do. 
but there is a tendency for her to be disrespectful when she feels unloved. But the key here then is for her to understand that putting on respect, especially when she's feeling naturally disrespectful, actually motivates her husband. And every husband needs to know that if he takes up offense thinking that this woman is dissing me and I'm sick and tired, I'm sick and tired, if you have that mindset that she's really just trying to disrespect you rather than seeking your, your, your love, you're going to miss it. So one of the things that each of us has to ask, is that which I'm about to say or do going to sound loving to my wife? Is that which I'm going to say going to sound respectful to my husband? And if we were to ask that question before we speak, if we were to really ask that, we would be stunned with the amount of motivation. You see, the key to motivating another person is meeting that person's deepest need, especially during conflict. And you have to be married to one bad dude or one bad dudeist for this not to work. I mean, think about it. Every woman knows if he says to himself, is that which I'm about to say during this conflicted moment going to feel loving or unloving to my wife? And if he just calms down and tries to come across more lovingly, she'll stay soft and engaged. So, too, if a wife said, is that which I'm about to say going to sound respectful or disrespectful to my husband and just soften maybe the disrespect, watch what happens. It just motivates. It just works. It just works. It does work. And what I love is when you take it to the rewarded cycle and you recognize that unconditional love, we love wives to love their husbands regardless of whether he deserves it, and husbands to love their, excuse me, I said that wrong, wives to respect their husbands regardless of whether he deserves it, husbands to love their wives regardless of whether they deserve it, because really that's what we're being called to do in the church. Our marriage is in Christ. That's what we're called to do. We're not called... I mean, Christ, we didn't deserve what Christ did for us. Why do we expect our spouses to always be perfect? Well, at the deepest level, the command to love my wife is God's command to me. This is God's command to me to be a loving man. In that sense, in a, in a truest sense, Sarah is irrelevant. This is not about mm-hmm. her being lovable. It's not about her being uh, r- uh, respectful. This is about God's command to me to love Sarah. And when I stand before Christ, He's going to say, Emerson, did you love Sarah? Well, Lord, you know her family of origin. You know all the divorce. Whoa, Emerson, whoa. Was this my command to you? Yes, sir. Did you do this out of trust and obedience toward me? Did you do this out of love and reverence toward me? Sarah is secondary here. She afforded you the opportunity to show me that you wanted to follow me. And we who are Christ followers need to understand that. And so too wives on the other side. This is not about your husband deserving respect. And this is not about respecting bad behavior. We're not talking about this. We're talking about respectfully confronting behavior that's not respectable. It's you being a woman of dignity. It's how you carry yourself. Many have the idea that he, he doesn't deserve the respect. He hasn't earned it. So what's the alternative? Contempt? Disdain? Disgust? This is not the way Christ calls any of us to treat any other human being. And so the challenge for all of us is to understand at the end of the day, this is who God calls me to be. This is not about who my spouse fails to be. That's powerful. You know, I'm just laughing to myself because I'm sitting here writing notes, even though I've gone to the conferences, read the books, and I'm thinking about all of our listeners who are driving their cars and getting to hear all of this great information. And I just want to, again, encourage them to go to the website, loveandrespect.com, um, pick up a copy of the book at your local bookstore. I believe, do we still have one copy to still give away? One more copy if somebody give away. wants to call in at 877 943 
888-900-9673. And they can also just go back and listen to the rest of the archive. Uh, and uh, there's all kinds of great information out there to be able to listen to the whole show if you're just tuning in right now. Mm-hmm. Now, Emerson, you guys have worked with thousands of couples. You got one great story, one, one transformed story that you could share with us today? Well, that's the basis of the whole Love and Respect book. I began to receive uh, hundreds and thousands of emails of changed lives. In fact, Kim Canfield, the researcher, said, I don't know of any ministry that's ever received the kind of testimonies. that." Pe-, and I didn't master the testimonies. People initiated giving those to us. I think, you know, the, the, the overarching theme is that, as we talked, I think, a little bit earlier, women are good-willed women. They want the best for their marriage. They want to work on their marriage. They just don't understand. They don't know. And that's why this book is written, to help them understand what in the world are we talking about when we talk about respect. And once women get that, it's like, whoa, this just completely changes the nature of the marriage relationship. And she doesn't lose power. And I think one of the testimonies or the kind of testimony is women's realization. Wow, this is really empowering. This really makes me a woman of influence. This really strengthens me. This isn't causing me to be a doormat in any stretch the imagination. And men, many men who have good hearts um, have felt like there's something seriously wrong with them because they haven't responded like women. Somehow in the church we've communicated, you've got to be like a woman in the area of marriage, and they are crippled inside thinking there's something inherently wrong with them. I think one of the great delights is to hear from men who I tell at our conference, look, there's nothing wrong with you. God commands you to love because it'll never be natural. If it was natural, he wouldn't command you to do it. So it's not always going to be something that you feel like a woman feels. And there's nothing wrong with you. Be healed. But as a man of honor, let your sense of honor motivate you to do the loving thing. And because you don't always feel it doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. That's for sure. It's not all about feelings, That's especially in marriage. It's not all about the feelings. Emerson, as we close out the show, we've got about a minute left. I really want to hear from you. You've got a devotional. You've got a couple's devotional. You wrote a book back a couple of years ago on love and respect in the family. You got anything new coming up? I mean, these are all fantastic things. Is there some? Is there something new in the offing? There actually is. I just wrote a book on mothers and sons called The Respect Effect. And the number one you know, question that women would ask after they attended the conference, for the marriage conference, is, you know, this, this, uh, this applies to my son, doesn't it? And they began to write me. Martha, you'll love this. And uh, the women, you know, just said, this was unbelievable. I I applied some of these principles. And my son, instead of being quiet or just ignoring me, particularly as the boys move into puberty, you know, there's a different boy. Even the boy changes when he's age four uh, from the age of three and two. There's just a change that comes. And mothers begin to think, where's my precious boy? And we began to experience some things. And so this book will be out in April, April 5th, coming out. Uh, mothers and Sons, The Respect Effect, The Use of Respect Talk, and what that's doing to mothers and boys along the spectrum. Also, uh, adult sons. It's brought healing uh, in incredible ways. Mm. And, and I know uh, why that is. This is not rocket science. It just works. That's it's, it's the way God designed us. Emerson Eggerich, thank you so much for joining us on I Work For Him today. Thanks so much for the ministry that you and Sarah have been working at so feverishly for 16 years. Keep it up, and I look forward one day to meeting you face-to-face. It'll probably be in the kingdom, but I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Thanks Martha. a lot. Appreciate Bye-bye. It. Hey, as we come to the end of another I Work For Him show, thanks for listening today. I hope that something you heard today challenged you to look at your relationships differently than you've ever looked at them before. Thanks so much to Ace Andrews. He'd taken the phone calls in 
an onslaught today. They did such a great job. Thanks to Most Insurance. Find them online at mostins.com. Thanks to Crown College. Find them online at crown.edu forward slash radio and Bel Air Wealth Management. Find them online at belairwealthmanagement.com. What did you learn today to help take this city for Christ? You know, we learned today that our faith can impact our workplace by understanding how God made us. God intrinsically built into the men a desire to be respected and the women a desire to be loved. But in God's all-encompassing humor really built us to be married, to be one, and to work through these differences, not only to work through them, but to embrace them. And in our relationships between men and women and women and men, to understand this deep need that within conflict, men tend to feel disrespected and in conflict, women tend to feel unloved, especially when it's between their husband and wives. But to understand that a woman's deep need is to be loved and a man's deep need is being respected. And it applies not only in our homes with our spouses, but in our homes with our children and in our workplaces with those that we work with. We've got an opportunity to make an impact for Christ in our workplaces each and every day. What are you doing? Are you praying for your coworkers and employees? Join the I Work For Him nation tonight. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower and I own my own business, but ultimately, I, I work, work for, for Him. him.